good to see everyone this morning. I'll add my welcome. Thank you all for being here. It's so good to, to see you all, and it's good to hear those little voices, too. You know, they used to bother me a long time ago. I've gotten more of an appreciation for them here recently, but it, it is so good to hear those voices because you know that's the future of the, the Lord's church, and so it is so good to, to hear those. And God bless the Stewart family for being here and continued good health of, of theirs, um, especially this littlest, this littlest one. So good to see you all this morning. I want to uh, bring you a message this morning. Of, um, uh, I'll just put this up here. Sins committed in ignorance. You know, we uh, have probably come across that terminology and, and thought about those kinds of sins in, in our life and, and, and maybe just scratched our head and thought, what, it, well, what does it mean to, to commit sins in ignorance? And so I wanted to engage in this study and, and hopefully shed a little bit of light on it. I think what we'll find is um, when we come down to it, sin is really very simple. Sin is transgressing the law of God and there are consequences for it. And so at the end of the day, um, I hope that ma that message will come through, that we need to be careful in how we act and what we say, because when we transgress the law of God, there are consequences for it. So we want to pattern our lives after uh, the word of God, what he has told us that is right and wrong, and, and strive to do right and strive not to do wrong. I hope that's the message that will come through this morning as we talk about sin in these different ways. And as we begin our discussion about sins committed in ignorance, I want to kind of back up a little bit and get to some other types of sin before we actually talk about sins committed in ignorance. And the first one I want to talk about is willful sinning. And I think this is probably the easiest way of sinning that we understand, um, and that simply it, it's, it's knowing what's wrong. Look over in Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin our discussion there. Galatians chapter 5. Jack read for us there the fruit of the Spirit beginning in verse 22, and if you see there uh, at verse 22, there's that, that word there, but... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the good things, right? That's the things we ought to be practicing. And it says there, against such things there is no law. Those, things, those are the things within us that God has instilled, and we understand that those are right things to do. And we have a pretty good grasp of that. But before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, back up in verse 19, he, he gives a, a list here of some things that are not right. Some things that are wrong and should not be practiced by Christians and really let alone, let alone all mankind. Verse 19, it says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, 
That is to say, I am forewarning you of these things now, just as I have forewarned you in the past. You just uh, forewarned you that these, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I love it when scripture is very, very clear and easy to understand, and that's the majority, <laughs> the overwhelming majority. But I love it when I, I hear things like that. Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because that, to me, is a, is a red light. And understanding, if I do those things, I don't get to go to heaven. And so we need to pay, pay very close attention to those things and, and see. And there's a list there of, uh, of things that we might see. And we're going to talk about a little bit more about these in, in, the, in a moment. But a lot of these are against one another. Especially there where you see strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. You know, that whole little subgroup right there is about how we treat one another. And then there's drunkenness and carousing. We know what those kind of things are. Those worldly things. And then the list begins with the worldly things. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. That's, that's that that comes up between us and our God. Anything that comes between us and our God. That's knowing what's wrong. And we, we know that if we practice such things... We will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Hebrew writer lets us know that willful sinning is knowing what's wrong and doing it anyway. Hebrews 10 and verse 26 says it very plainly. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I could not put it any more simply. Sinning willfully, knowing what's wrong and doing it anyway. That's willful sinning. That is willfully disregarding the law of God. And there's one, a warning in here that we especially want to heed. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who have put on Christ, look over in 2 Peter chapter 2. There's a warning here that Peter gives that we need to be very mindful of. And that's the idea that the last state is worse than the first. Is if we have heard the call, if we have obeyed the gospel, and then we go to sin willfully, Peter makes this warning, beginning in verse 18 of 2 Peter 2. It says, For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Hear those words. They sound familiar. Those who have barely escaped the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. This is the idea here of, uh, of being enslaved to sin, not being able to fully come out of the world. Verse 20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. That is, you come out of the world, but there's something you're still hanging on to, and it and it drags you back into the world. Look what he says here. The last state has become worse for them than the first. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from it from the holy commandment delivered to them. I don't believe Peter's speaking of a more strict or harsher punishment. I'm, I think he's speaking there of the idea of sorrow, of knowing what the truth is, falling back into the world and thinking about how sorrowful you are and feeling that you might not ever be able to come out of the world again. 
Verse 21, it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. That's very graphic, isn't it? And understanding what it means to go back into the world after tasting righteousness and freedom from sin under the law of Christ. Willful sinning, knowing what's wrong and doing it anyway. And that, ser- that very sad state of those who've come out of the world to fall back into it. Let me just say this, that there's always hope. Sometimes we get uh, out in the world and think we can't come back. We can. God is waiting there to receive us back. Always. No sin that we cannot be redeemed from if we are truly repentant of it. So before we get to sins committed in ignorance, there's kind of a middle, middle category here maybe um, that I call unintentional sinning. In some of the translations that we'll read here in Leviticus in a minute, it'll say unintentional, but I think really the more accurate way to, dis, to dis, define that or to render that word is ignorant. So I think there is a, a little bit of middle ground here, and that is unintentional sinning. And that's really when... We know what's right and wrong, but then inadvertently we do something wrong. And I think we can understand that, that we've probably all been guilty of this. I kind of put it in these terms, kind of the, the heat of the moment kind of, of, of sin. We know what's right and wrong, but in the heat of the moment when emotions are high, when our decision-making skills are, are, are put down and are more of our other kind of skills and uh, fight-or-flight kind of things come into our mind, that's when we can be guilty of these kind of sins. I think about um, outbursts of anger, that list there of what Paul wrote to the Galatians. That, to me, kind of fits into this category. When, when my emotions are high and I might say or do something I, unintentionally and, and it's sin, it's also kind of this goes very closely along with doing or saying something that is not sinful, yet its application is. We can be guilty of that, too, can't we? In that list there, there was strife and dissension that Paul mentioned there, and those are some things that happen between brethren. You know, we might say or do something that would cause strife or dissension amongst our brethren. What we say may in itself not be sinful, but the application of it is. Also think about idolatry. You know, we need to be very careful about... um, putting something before God. Isn't that what idolatry is? Anything that stands in, the, in between us and God. And we can let those things kind of creep in, I think unintentionally so. Whether it's our hobbies, whether it's our work, whether it's our family. You know, we have to be very careful, even with, with our blood family. Because what's more important, our blood family or our relationship with our Creator? And it has to be our relationship with our Creator. So unintentionally, sometimes things can kind of creep in and and separate us from God. So hopefully this lesson will help us to kind of recognize those kind of things. And and before we uh, descend over into full-blown idolatry where we're missing services, where we're not treating our brethren as we should, where we're not uh, living a life that would be befitting of a Christian because we're focused on other things then we are truly crossed over into idolatry. But unintentionally, that might creep in. So that's where we need to be careful. 
and where we need to, to make sure that we're on guard against those things. So we might ask ourselves later on, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I say something off, offhandedly that, that has wounded my brother? What I said may not have been in itself sinful, but the way I said it, the application of what I said, may have wounded my brother and caused dissension and caused strife. But there's always the opportunity to make it right. And that's what we're going to focus on towards the end of the lesson. Is that these are sins. They need to be repented of. But there's opportunity to make it right. The best example I could, I could think of in the New Testament was, comes from Galatians chapter 2. If you'll turn there with me. Galatians chapter 2. When Paul has to Stand up to Peter. Paul writes about it here in the Galatian letter, beginning in verse 11. He says, But when Cephas, and that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So right away, Paul is, is making it very clear that there's black and white here as far as the application of it. It's black and white. Verse 12, For prior to coming... Um, for prior to the coming of certain men from, from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So you understand what's happening here? Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles, but when the Jews come from Jerusalem, he kind of separates himself from them. And in such a way, as Paul points out, Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews joined him in his what? In his hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So not only is it, you know, damaging the relationship Peter has, but also bring, drawing others away. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in his presence of all, if you being a Jew like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that, uh, that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, why are you, why are you uh, acting in such a way? If we're all brothers in Christ, then shouldn't we all be acting like brothers in Christ? And so I think this is uh, as, as, as close, a, as best an illustration I could come up with from the New Testament about that. Peter was withdrawing himself uh, from, uh, from the Gentiles when, when the, Jewish the Jewish Christians were around. Maybe he wasn't really intentionally doing anything. Maybe it didn't really strike him. But Paul makes it very clear that he stood condemned. And so that's the idea here of unintentional. Knowing what's right and wrong, but then inadvertently doing something. Or saying something that may not itself be sinful, but... But the way it applies, the way it affects someone is. But the idea, of course, is that there's, there's always opportunity to repent of that and to make things right. So now I want to talk about where we really started here, is of truly sinning in ignorance. Go with me to the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. Honestly, the, the Old Testament, the old law, has a lot to say about this. Uh, I, I really found it amazing. There's so much written about sins committed in ignorance un, under the law of Moses. Not a whole lot under the law of Christ, but the lessons are here, and this is why we'll, um, 
will go here to, to help us understand the way God feels about it. Of course, we're not under the law of, of Moses, but the, the application, certainly the way God deals with his people, um, the underlying part of this is Leviticus 4 and verse 27 says, now, if any one of the common people sins unintentionally, that's where the word here, the New American Standard says unintentionally. Other translations say sin and ignorance, which I like better. If, now, if any one of the common people sins in ignorance in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and becomes guilty. Again, black and white as far as the guilt, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But it's, an, it's unaware that you're transgressing the law. Truly unaware that you're transgressing the law. Our sins committed in ignorance. Look over also in chapter 5 at verse 17 of Leviticus. Leviticus 5 and verse 17. It says, Now if a person sins and does any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, though he was unaware, still he is guilty and shall bear his punishment. And there's several of these examples, verse 2 of chapter 4, verse 13, uh, verse 22, talk about the different um, kinds of people that would sin inadvertently or sin in, in, in ignorance. And the whole idea here is that they're truly unaware that they're breaking God's law, but the guilt is still there. The guilt is still there. And the idea is that Ignorance is no excuse. Go with me to back to the New Testament, the book of Acts. I couldn't help but let my mind go to our laws of the land when we think about these kind of things. And um, you've heard that one, right? Ignorance is no excuse for the law. You know, the speed limit's 45 and I'm going 65. That doesn't prevent me from getting a ticket for going 65. I didn't know it, but I still broke the law, right? It's hard to plead ignorance in the face of the law of the land, and we know that. And I think it's pretty easy to get our arms around that if we're truly a mature human being and understand that there are laws. And if we break those laws, there are consequences for it. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. This is Peter's second sermon, after he, the one there recorded in chapter 2. Verse 17, he says, And now, brethren... I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. So he's telling them about the, the con he's convicting them of their sin and what they have done and putting to death the Son of God. He says, I know you acted in, in ignorance as your rulers did, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. So Peter's saying, you acted in ignorance, like your rulers did, but the fact of the matter is, God said through the prophets that Jesus was coming. Jesus, while he was on the earth, said, I am that man. And yet, they put him to death anyway. So do they have an a, a, a ignorance plea here? Well, Peter says you acted in ignorance, but the underlying law is still there. God spoke of Jesus Christ coming, of a prophet that would come. And through him, the world would be saved. And Jesus said while he was on the earth, that's who I am. So it, it's a tough, uh, a tough defense here to plead ignorance. Ignorance is no excuse. So 
bearing all that in mind, let's talk about it this way. Let's talk about the consequence or the remedy for sin. So what's the, con or the consequence for willful sinning? Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. So each one of these we want to look at and talk about consequences or remedy for sin. Hebrews 10 verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That's where we left off. Verse 27, what does it say? But a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which consumes the adversaries. So there's the consequence for willful sinning. We go on sinning willfully, no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What does that mean? We've talked about that in the past. That means there's nothing else other than the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. There's nothing else that can save you. If you reject that and go on sinning willfully, trampling underfoot the blood of Christ, there's nothing else that will save you. But what? Certain terrifying expectation of judgment. Anyone, verse 28, who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think will be deserved for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if there was a punishment meted out under the law of Moses at the testimony of two or three witnesses, how much stronger a witness is it to trample underfoot the Son of God? How much more severe punishment does one deserve for doing so? The terrible consequence for willful sinning. What about unintentional sinning? What is, instead of consequence, let's focus on, on remedy and kind of also consequence with, mixed within this. Look in James chapter 4. A familiar passage here, James chapter 4, verse 17. says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? It is sin. So if I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, that is imputed to me as sin. And there's a consequence for that, as we've just mentioned. But the idea here is, therefore, to one that knows the right thing to do, so there is knowledge of right and wrong. So there is remedy for that. We'll call, talk about that here in just a moment. So there's not, an un, there's not a willful sinning. It's not a sinning in ignorance. You know what the right thing to do is, and you don't do it. And for that person, that to him is sin. And then what about truly sinning? in ignorance. I'll ask you one more time to go back to Leviticus because the, the following verses are important in what we just read. Leviticus 4, we read verse 27. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done and becomes guilty, now read verse 28 with me. It says, if he sins which he has committed is made known to him, so he sinned in ignorance. He really didn't know what he was doing was a sin. But now it has been made known to him. Then he shall bring for an offering of a goat, female without defect, for his sin, which he has committed. So do you follow that? He, he didn't know it was a sin. It was made known to him that it was a sin. Now he's guilty of it. And he's got to be 
He's got to make restitution for it. He's got to make a sacrifice. If you come down there to the end of verse 31, it says, Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. So the mechanism is there. He sinned in ignorance, but it became known to him, so therefore he had to make atonement for it. He does so, his sins are forgiven him. That's the remedy for that sin. Look over in chapter 5, we read verse 17. A person sins or does anything which the Lord has commanded not to do, though he was unaware. Still he is guilty and shall bear his punishment. Verse 18. He is then to bring the priest a ram without defect from his flocks, according to the valuation, for a guilt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his error in which he sinned unintentionally and did not know it. It shall be forgiven him. Again, made known to him. He makes atonement for it. His sin is forgiven him. Verse 19, it is a guilt offering. He was certainly guilty before the Lord. So that, hopefully we can hang our hat there. Certainly he was guilty before the Lord. Is ignorance an excuse for the law? No, it's not. Could you truly be ignorant of a law? There's provisions in the law of Moses for that. But when they were made known about their guilt, about their sin, they had to make it right. They had to make atonement for it. And they were forgiven for it. Now let's go back to Acts, our New Testament example. Acts chapter 3. We left off there with Peter speaking to them, telling them that they were guilty of putting to death the Son of God, this one that had been prophesied of for so long. They put him to death. Look what it says in verse 19. Repent. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and he may send Jesus the Christ who appointed you. I want to read the rest of this passage because I think it's so important in understanding about Jesus Christ and about how he has fulfilled this, about how he is that sacrifice also. Uh, for the sins committed in ignorance, if we repent of those. He is still that same sacrifice. Verse 20, he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration for all things about God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet from me like your brethren. He shall give, uh, to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning you, every one of you, from your wicked ways. Ignorance is no excuse. God has sent his son to take away the sins of the world through belief in him and obedience to him. So back to verse 19, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That verse rings a little bit more to me after this study. Allow for the refreshing to come. Allow for the idea that we can be uh, forgiven of our sins 
through Jesus Christ. We don't have to take that lamb or, or, or that goat and make that sacrifice. As a child of God, I can approach God and I can ask him to forgive me and he will. Sinning in ignorance and unintentional sinning and really willful sinning too, of course. But willful sinning means you're not repenting of it. If we want to repent of the things that we've done unintentionally or in ignorance when we found out that they were indeed transgressing the law and we're a child of God, I can ask God to forgive me from 1 John 1 and verse 9. And he is righteous and just and he will forgive me. The sin is there. Surely he was guilty before the Lord. Ignorance is not an excuse. And it's under the law of Moses, nor under the law of Christ. So the blessing that we have is the idea that we can be forgiven of those things. When we find out about it, we can repent and we can be cleansed. So, the application. I was going to put don't be ignorant. But I didn't think that sounded all that good, so I wasn't going to say that. So this sounds a little better. Be not ignorant. Ignorance is no excuse. We can't hide behind it for the reasons we're going to state here. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, it says, God, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, is calling on all men everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So we can't hide behind ignorance and say, well, I just didn't know. God is saying he's overlooked those times. And now he has brought about uh, his son to die for our sins. And we can't be ignorant of that. He's overlooked those times. He's calling on men everywhere to repent. And it's no excuse that we can say, well, I just don't know God. Because Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. The idea that we can look around and see God, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Notice that next part, so that they are without excuse. Look around and see God. We can see him in the world and the creation that he is, his invisible attributes. We can look around and see him. So we're, no one is, is excused from it. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart, foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of the form of corruptible man, of, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. There's that idolatry again. That thing coming between you and your God. They knew God, but they decided to instead worship the image of animals and other things. 
Paul says they're without excuse. Colossians 1, verse 21 beginning, says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in the fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is, you remember he's speaking to Christians. And he's saying that you're formerly this way, you're alienated, you're trapped in the flesh, but you've been freed from that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, if you continue in the faith, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed to all creation under heaven, of, of which I, Paul, was made minister. Ignorance is not an excuse, especially if you have rendered obedience to Christ, and you continue in the, in the faith firmly established and steadfast. What does that all mean to us? Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll leave you with these thoughts. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and excellence. How many things pertaining to life and godliness? Peter says all things. All things pertaining to life and godliness. So, brothers and sisters, I can't plead ignorance when I have this. Because he has said all things pertaining to life and godliness are given to me right here. I can read them. I can understand them. I can make application in my own life about them. And if you look over in verse 8, after he comes out of saying the things about what we deem sometimes the Christian virtues, diligence, faith, moral excellence, all these things, self-control, Verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in what? The true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're applying these things in our own life, then we're growing. Our ignorance is shrinking because we know more and more and more about the God that we serve. Verse 9 he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgot his purification from his former sins. If you're not adding to those things, you're, you're, not, you're not just standing still, but you're actually backing up. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way... Uh, for in this way, the entrance into eternal life, uh, into, let me start over again. I want to read this right. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. If these are ours and are increasing, they render us neither unfruitful nor useless in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All things are pertaining to life and godliness. Brethren, he's given us everything that we need. We've got to be striving to make use of those things and striving to make sure that we're not ignorant 
of the law of Christ. So what we need to do, given all this that we've talked about, we need to make it our goal to never inadvertently sin and to never commit a sin in ignorance. The willful sinning, I think we can, you know, that's a little easier to get, right? We know those things that are, that are wrong and easily said so. And if we're going to just trample over those things, then there's not a sacrifice left for us. But if we truly want to be better Christians, better brothers and sisters, then let's make it our goal not to sin inadvertently. Let's make it our goal not to sin out of ignorance. That means we have to study the Word of God so that we, are, that we know that this is the standard by which we're going to be held. Let's make sure we know it. So let's make sure that it can't be pointed out to us that we were ignorant of something so that we can live a life upright, righteous, confident, standing before our God. Let us not commit sins inadvertently or out of ignorance. I mentioned at the beginning that when it all comes back, sin is sin. Transgressing the law of God is sin, no matter what. The consequences are there. The consequences for us are very, very dire. In 2 Thessalonians 1, Paul writes here about the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels of flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Dealing out retribution. So the punishments are there. Whether the sins be any of the categories that we talked about. We're guilty of sin, we're guilty of sin. So let's make sure that we're well informed about the law of Christ. And let's keep diligent in our studies and be diligently applying those to our lives as Christians. We offer an invitation as we always do at the end of our time. The invitation is a is an outreach, if you will, reminding us about the gospel of our Lord and Savior. We talked about this morning in our Bible class, how Jesus mentioned there in, in, his, in his address there to his uh, disciples in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16, how he's going to go to the Father and he's, he's trying to give them these comforting words. And he says to them, uh, you heard it said that I will go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And the idea of Jesus saying, say, saying there to his disciples, you ought to rejoice because I'm going to the Father, because I'm going to the Father to fulfill his plan for God's redemption of mankind. For man to be redeemed from his sins, he had to, Jesus Christ had to come to the earth, to live as a man, to be tempted in all ways, as we are yet without sin, and to be put to death on a cross, buried in the earth, and then resurrected on the third day, and then ascend to his Father in heaven, and that's where the rejoicing is, because God's redemption of mankind has, has been fulfilled, and that's what Jesus came to do, and that's the gospel message. That's the message that they were to take out into the world 
and tell people that you can be forgiven of your sins. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come and died for them. That's the gospel message. Hearing that message, you would understand that I need to make changes in my life. I am guilty of willful sinning because I have transgressed the law of God. And I want to make things right in my life. And then what you have to understand that recognizing who Jesus Christ is through all of this, that he is the Son of God. And he is worthy of our praise and our worship to God through him. And he truly can wash away our sins. And if we come to that point, then we are a candidate for baptism. We are ready to demonstrate our obedience to God by being buried in the waters of baptism and coming up out of that a new creature to walk in newness of life. If you are subject to that gospel message, we would encourage you to come forward. If as a child of God, you're in one of these categories, if you're willfully sinning, I beg of you to repent. There's nothing else that can save you other than the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have uh, something in your mind that maybe you unintentionally did or out of ignorance, study, talk to someone, look for that in God's word and see if you are indeed guilty. Because if you are, you stand guilty in the eyes of God. And make that right by asking for forgiveness. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.